John Scholes here. Stan Fainzelberg will be joining us momentarily from San Firu to Mark and LLP, stlawyers.ca. Anytime you want to reach out with questions over the course of the next hour, a couple different ways to do that. Uh, emails, we've already got a bunch jettisoned over to us, so we'll start reading those and answering those questions of those who've just uh, sent those in. That email address, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Emails coming up very shortly. Stan, good to have you on again today, brother. Uh, week that was, case of the day, what do you got, to, what do you got going on? Yeah, good morning, John, and good morning, Toronto. Um, so I just wanted to start off uh, with a recent case that I actually saw uh, that I think is highlighting a trend that has been kind of more prevalent in the courts recently, and that's to award damages beyond just simple severance for conduct that, you know, historically we may not have thought would necessarily attract those types of damages because the courts have been very stringent and, you know, applying a very high standard before they'll essentially say that a certain party's conduct should warrant, you know, exemplary damages, as is the case here. So in, in this case, John, we've got a, a guy who worked for a casino. He was a general manager at a casino for several years. Casino was uh, was downsizing. They decided to let him go. Should have been a very straightforward termination in many ways. You know, without cause termination, the only question is how much money is this guy going to get? Uh, and... For some reason, that's not entirely clear here, the company did not really do what it was required to do in a number of aspects, uh, and really ended up getting hammered by the court for it. In fact, the court specifically found that the company's actions were untruthful, misleading, and unduly insensitive. And all of that amounted to what's called a breach of the duty to act in good faith in contractual relations. This is kind of a new tort, John, that the, the Supreme Court really only recognized in the last about half decade or so. But it, it's it's imposed this concept. I mean, the concept that I think applies in everyday life, which is just treat people with respect, with good faith, especially in a situation where, you know, you have a termination, a person going through one of the worst situations of their lives. You have an, an additional obligation to make sure you're treating that person with the respect they deserve. And in this case, the employer failed in, again, a number of aspects. Well, so what did the employer do, do, John? Well, a couple of things. First of all, you know, and this is a small one, they didn't provide the notice of termination in writing. They just told the employee that's what they were going to do. Uh, and they they told him in, a number of times. He actually asked for it in writing a number of times, and they agreed to do it a number of times in writing, mm-hmm. but just didn't want to and didn't do it. And the problem here is that the statute, the Employment Standards Act, specifically says you have to provide termination notice in writing. So they violate the statute for what amounts to a pretty dumb reason. In my the second thing that they failed to do is they failed to pay the employee his minimum entitlements in time. The statute pr- provides very clearly when you have to pay someone's statutory minimum entitlements to termination, pay severance, whatever you want to call it. And they ultimately did pay that. They were just late by several weeks. Again, no particular reason given, just insensitive actions, not you know treating this person with the respect that they deserve. They also, for reasons that are, again, not entirely clear based on the case, didn't reimburse this employee almost $17,000 in out-of-pocket legitimate expenses. Wow. Now, it seems that they had you know a dispute with the employee because the employee was looking to get interests for the expenses that they hadn't paid back. And they were disputing whether that interest was owed. And the court acknowledged that, you know, that this was a legitimate dispute. And that that aspect had uh, legitimate reasoning for why the employer would not pay that. But 
the court also found that there was no legitimate reason not to pay the principal amount. And just because you have a dispute on the interest doesn't mean you don't pay the full 17000 you owe him and then fight over the rest. Uh, the employer continued to do, I mean, this is where things kind of get much worse in my view. First of all, they tried to, tried to convince this employee to resign. And this is something I see all the time, John, that the employer comes to an employee and tries to convince him that it's actually better for them to resign, that they'll be in a better place somehow because, oh, they won't have this blemish of a termination on their record. The reality is that that is a terrible, terrible decision for the employee to make. Because if they chose to resign, first of all, they are not entitled to EI. Only terminated employees are entitled to EI, not, not people who quit. Secondly, they wouldn't be entitled to severance because, again, only terminated employees are entitled to severance, not individuals who quit. And the employer obviously knew all of this, and they tried to manipulate the employee and take advantage of the fact that they the employee probably didn't have the same knowledge and get them to resign against their own interests. They also, and again, very insensitively, told this employee when he wouldn't resign that, well, you know, if you come back to the uh, the casino, we may have to call OPP and charge you with trespassing. Again, no particular reason for that. You have an employee who had done nothing wrong other than lost his job because the company decided to. Uh, and they, you know, because they weren't happy that the employee wasn't just accepting whether the employer was offering here, decided to play hardball tactics. Uh, a couple of other things, you know, they, they failed to file and mislabeled the record of employment, failed to file on time, failed to label it properly, which led to the employee having a delay in getting their EI payments. And lastly, you know, even though they promised this employee that they would pay eight weeks, which was above what they owed him statutorily, from a common law perspective, they owed him a lot more and he had a gang a lot more. But statutorily, they only owed him three weeks. And But they still said, look, we're going to give you the eight weeks. They promised that in writing. And for, again, reasons that are not entirely clear, they just didn't do that. They paid him three weeks and decided not to follow through on what they promised him and what he was probably relying upon. So all of these things, you know, are generally somewhat minor transgressions, not things that we would necessarily expect the court to punish an employer for, at least not historically, as it has been the case in Ontario. But cumulatively, and again, in light of the fact that the Supreme Court's recognize this additional obligation, this duty to act in good faith. The court said that all of that amounted to, you know, what we call moral damages in this case, moral damages, punitive damages, a lot of these things, bad faith damages, a lot of them are interchangeable semantic mm -hmm. words, but ultimately it just means that they did something that was so egregious that the court decided to punish them for those actions. And that's exactly what the court did here and gave this employee an additional $15,000 on top of seven months of severance for a guy who had been there for about three years. So, you know, a really interesting trend of something that I think is well overdue because I see employers pull stunts like this all the time. And the reality is that they can get away with it because the chances of case going all the way to court and the employee taking, you know, that level of hurt all the way to court and to find out whether they might be awarded these damages are quite low. And employers count on that all the time. That's what, as I say, I can't tell you how many times I've heard employees tell me, my employer asked me to resign, should I do that? The answer is always no, you should never do that. Uh, and, you, and you also should never just accept whatever your employer is telling you in any case, and you have rights 
and you have the right to enforce those rights. And if your employer doesn't acknowledge that, you know, they can be punished for beyond just what the severance is that they owe you. You know, it's interesting, too, and I mean, as as well as this turned out for that uh, particular person, I mean, it, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, this sometimes scares people away, but the vast majority of cases when people are dealing with their employers or, you know, what's going to be their past employer never gets to court. I mean, that's that's your job is to handle these things, and they uh, generally resolve quite swiftly. I mean, it's good to know the courts will step up in this regard, you know, this particular story, stand. but I think it's worth mentioning that generally employment law issues really aren't that complex, and it's it's usually pretty easy to wrap up for the uh, for your clients. Right, 100%, John. And I mean, this, as I said from the beginning, this was not a complex case. This was a simple case of yeah. a company making a business decision, which they're 100% entitled to do. They decide to downsize. They decide that they're going to let this employee go. The only question here was, what is he owed? How much money are they going to agree to? It's really only when companies get you know, beyond the business decisions, I find, and into the realm of emotional decisions, which is what this seems like to me. You know, for, I don't know why they chose to go after this employee, but clearly that was a bad decision. And I would probably suggest it was an emotional decision. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to one email before we break here to get us uh, get us warmed up, pal. Uh, Tathis says, guys, my employer refused to give me a raise. Can I quit and use constructive dismissal? Hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, a constructive dismissal means that the employer is changing a fundamental term of your employment relationship that you don't agree to and that gives you the right to treat that change as a termination and walk away from your job. But the key here is that it has to be a fundamental change that you're entitled to. And the reality is, Tatha, that, you know, unless you have a contract that says you get a raise every year guaranteed, nobody is legally entitled to a raise in their employment. The only thing our Employment Standards Act provides for when it comes to wages in this regard is minimum wage. They set the floor. Everything above minimum wage is a matter of how much can you negotiate with your employer and essentially get out of them. But they don't have to give you a raise, and therefore it can never be a constructive dismissal if they don't give you a raise because they're not giving, they're not failing to do something that they have to do. And with that, we'll get into one quick break. Get back with more and email address, which is what we're going to go to on the other side of the break. That is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Point of Law Show continues. Hang in there. All righty, back at it. John School, Stan Fainselberg, ST Lawyers, Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP. Reach out to Stan anytime. We're not doing the show. You can. He's got a great team with him. And uh, answer your calls and questions, one 821 5900 to do that. Or email anytime. Always invited help at employmentlawyer.ca. And Stan, throughout the show, uh, mentioned severance and severance amounts. And people, where did you get that number so quickly? Well, he knows because he's been doing it for years. But you have access as well to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, all kinds of information. Could actually answer about 80% of your questions, plus you'll have free and anonymous access to the severance calculator. That thing is accurate and eye-opening as well. Again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But emails, phone calls, be part of the show. We'll go roll down to Ike is the next email stance. Says, Guys, my employer wants to get rid of my annual bonus. Guys, pulling a Griswold. Uh, because they're saying they cannot afford to pay it anymore. This is a huge part of my compensation. It's about a third, and I cannot afford myself to lose this money. Is there anything I can do about it? Well, Ike, as we, as we mentioned in the uh, previous question about what is a constructive dismissal, you know, a fundamental change to the employment relationship that you don't agree to. And I certainly can't think of anything more fundamental than the wages that, two, that the parties have agreed are going to be exchanged in exchange for the, the services here. 
So if your employer is essentially reducing your income by a third, you know, I don't care if you call that bonus, I don't care if you call it commissions, RSUs, whatever you want to call it, uh, that is in almost every light a constructive dismissal. That's a fundamental change to your relationship because, again, they've reduced probably one of the most important aspects of that relationship, the amount of money you've agreed to in exchange for working there. Uh, you don't have to accept that Ike, and you can absolutely treat it as a, as a constructive dismissal and walk away and claim your severance. Good stuff. Appreciate the uh, the reaching out, uh, Ike. It's uh, it's good times. If you want to follow up with that phone call, you know what to do. Tomorrow is up next. Is guys, how do I know if I've been wrongfully terminated? Am I entitled to money? You know, John, this is a question I surprisingly get a lot. And, and I think it has a lot to do with this confusion around this concept of a wrongful termination. Right. Because, you know, people think that when they've been terminated, well, I've just been terminated. I haven't been wrongfully terminated. So I'm not entitled to anything more because, you know, they treated my employer treated me fairly in this instance. They, they let me go. You know, I understand why it's because of restructuring. I saw it coming, whatever the reasoning. It's not, but it's not wrongful, they think. That's really not what we're talking about when we're talking about a wrongful dismissal in a legal sense. A wrongful termination, wrongful dismissal, all that means is that your employer has let you go and not paid you enough money. It's not that they did something particularly terrible to you. You know, that's what bad faith moral damages are for, punitive damages. Wrongful dismissal just means they haven't given you enough money based on what your legal rights are. So how do you know if you've been wrongfully dismissed, Tamara? Well, if you've been terminated, you're likely been wrongfully dismissed. The only question we have to determine is, are they giving you enough money or not? And the only real way to do that is to either speak to a lawyer or check out the pocket employment lawyer uh, and check out the severance pay calculator on our website. And uh, please do that uh, tomorrow. Again, it's pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and follow up with, uh, with a phone call, one 821 5900 but here and now. Eileen, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Um, yeah, so my question is this. I was just served hmm. notice uh, by my employer. Um, my last day is January 31st, and um, she claims the company is closing down. However, in her verbal uh, conversation, she told me that she's going to continue on just as a one-man show. We're a very small mm-hmm. company as it is. Um, so, uh, but my, so when I asked her if she could please provide the letter of termination in writing, and would she include in that, please, the terms of termination entitlement? To which she said, unequivocally, I'm entitled to nothing more than the three weeks notice. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my concern here is that um, I'm turning 63 on Monday. And uh, so I worked there for just under four years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, th- there's going to be a certain challenge turning around and finding employment at my age. Of course. So, um, so I'm just wondering, uh, am I entitled to anything uh, beyond the three weeks' notice? Yeah, of course, Eileen. Well, firstly, I mean, happy early birthday. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry that you know these circumstances have come up so close to your 65th. 
so what your employer is telling you in terms of the three weeks, that represents your absolute minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. And right. you know, if I'm being fair, you know, I can see a small operation like you're talking about. That employer may legitimately think that's all you're owed. But that only represents the floor, your minimum entitlements. Your maximum entitlements are generally based on your age, position, length of employment, and ability to find new employment in the future. So I would say that, first of all, you're definitely owed more than the three weeks. Now, the other tricky aspect here is the fact that they're shutting down the business, although, you know, not really, it sounds like. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, and the reality is that unless the company is going bankrupt, they still owe you your money because shutting down a business doesn't mean that you get to run away from all your debts. It just right. means you're closing up your business. It doesn't bankruptcy right. means that you li- you have more debt than you have assets to pay for. And right. in that scenario, you know, you basically the company goes bankrupt, the the debts or whatever assets there are distributed amongst the creditors and you know, you get pennies on the dollar. Someone right. deciding to close their business for whatever reasons they have doesn't erase the debts that they owe you and you at this point are a creditor because you have she owes you a debt the debt being your severance so three weeks is almost certainly not appropriate um and what i would suggest is it gets tricky when you're still in the workplace and we have and you know in a situation like this you have time so i often tell employees to just go through the you know the process make it out until uh get to december 31st get out of there and that's the right time to you know to write to your employer and tell them that they owe you more money. You can engage, okay. and I would certainly suggest that we you you contact our offices and engage with someone before then, so that everything is in place when that time comes. But okay. generally, you don't want to engage before because you know you're you're still there. You don't know how crazy your employer might get and what they might right. ultimately do. And I generally just want to get my clients out of that toxic environment potentially before sure. you know taking the actions that we have to but the short answer here eileen is that you're absolutely more, owed more than three weeks and you should give us a call and talk to somebody about it okay is there are you prepared to just throw it a ballpark of what that entitlement might be in terms of compensation sure. or would you rather just not answer sure. that? uh well you mentioned you're 65 and you've been there for almost four years can you tell me what was your job there I, I was the administrative assistant, and I'm 63, so in, in oh, all fairness, I still have two years of employment before I can collect CPP, so. Mm-hmm. so. So 63, administrative assistant with about almost four years. I mean, you're probably in the range of about three to four months Okay. in terms of entitlements. Yeah. Now, the three weeks working notice she's giving you, or the four, whatever that number is, uh, that counts towards your entitlement. So that would get okay. taken off the top. But then the rest, you know, she would have to pay for. Right. Sure. 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 Okay. My other thought was so I'm actually running out of work to do. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> if I turned around and said, "Hey, look, just um, I, I don't want to. I don't know." If I turned around and said, "Can you just pay me out for the the next three weeks, as opposed to me trying to scrape work together?" Or is that considered? resigning on my part uh you can ask for that and she can say yes or no really when you think about it it's the same thing right because if you have no work to do 
then you're just being paid not to work, which is ultimately what you're asking for anyway. So True. I'm not sure there's much of a difference and I'm not sure it's worth, you know, having right. that conversation when you're just going to get the money anyway for the same thing, which is not working. Sure. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. That's great. I really appreciate your advice this morning. You bet, Ali. Appreciate, uh, appreciate your reaching out. And again, just in case you don't know it, uh, you're going to want to continue that conversation with Stan uh, off air. 1-855-821-5900. Bounce over to a, another email, pal. Here we go. Mike says, guys, had an argument with my boss that I would go off and get a migraine headaches looked at. I uh, was off five weeks. When I came back, he sent me to his other business in another town, which wasn't our original agreement. When I protested, he said it was his business and he can do whatever he wants. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Uh, very likely not, Mike. I mean, there's a couple of things that I see coming out of this question initially, John. First of all, I I think there's a legitimate question as to whether Mike has been discriminated against because he took what we would call medical leave due to a legitimate disability. And when you take a medical leave, you have a number of protections that are in place both by the Employment Standards Act and the Ontario Human Rights Code. One of those protections is that you're entitled to your job back. Now, it, it's not a guarantee. You know, if, if your job is legitimately not available, then the, the requirement is to give you a job that's, you know, relatively comparable. But they have, but presuming your job was available and it hadn't changed and hadn't been given away or not given away for a legitimate reason other than what we just wanted to give it to this other person now, uh, they have to put you back in the position that you had prior to going on the medical. So, and then secondly, I mean, switching someone's employment in that way and sending them to a different location just because they took a medical leave can be seen as discriminatory under the human rights code. Beyond that, you know, the other question here is to whether just changing someone's location amounts to a constructive dismissal because obviously can be a fundamental term of an employment agreement that somebody works only at one location. And here context is really important, John, because if, if, the, if the question, you know, if we're, the change we're talking about is, hey, I need you to go across the street to, and do your exact job just across the street. Mm-hmm. That's really not, in my view, a fundamental change. You know, he's not imposing something that's so severe and so restrictive that you can say, no, this is unreasonable and I don't have to agree to it. Now, if, if the employer is telling you, well, I need you to travel two hours west, you know, and go to this location out in Kitchener and you live in Scarborough, yeah. that is pretty clearly a fundamental change. I don't think any reasonably objective person would think that they have to just agree to that without, you know, actually consenting to it. And, and in that context, if that's what's going on, that I would say is a constructive dismissal and allows you to walk away and claim it as a termination and claim your severance and claim discrimination and claim all these other things, including bad faith damages, all of, all of that as part of a lawsuit against your employer. Yeah, and I th- I th- like you said, it's all context. I mean, if, if you and I were in that situation working for the same place, had to had to go to this new location, for you it's a 10-minute drive, for me it's 45 and three different buses, mm-hmm. that's no good for me, but it might work for you. So it's all, like you said, context enough to the individual, yeah? Absolutely. And we're not even contextual, you know, not just the context of how far a distance, context mm-hmm. in terms of the person that we're talking about. Like you identified, yeah. you know, if I own a car, that's certainly a lot less burdensome than a person who doesn't own a car. 
And so even if we're being asked to travel the same distance, and let's say for me, it's not a constructive dismissal because I own a car and I drive around for a living. But for you, maybe you don't have a license, maybe you can't afford a car, and that's four or five bus rides and mm -hmm. twice or three times the amount of time. In your context, that very much looks like a constructive dismissal. Yeah. Let's get to tomorrow on quickly before a break. Hey, tomorrow, thanks for taking the time. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? Great. Thank you for uh, for calling in. What's uh, what's your concern? Thank you for taking my call. I actually called in a few weeks ago with with uh, that I was concerned that my employer was preparing to terminate me, and mm -hmm. yesterday it happened. Mm. So I've I've been off work. Well, I've been working from home since October 23rd due to a car accident uh, with doctor's notes. And um, on yesterday, mm -hmm. I went. Thursday, I went for a follow-up appointment with my doctor. He recommended that I continue to work from home for another four weeks. My physiotherapist provided a summary report of my condition, and um, my employer said, it's not gonna, this is not going to work for us, and then picked up the phone, called me, and said, what do you want to do? Do you want to come into work, or do you want to... You know, do you want to continue to work from home? I said, well, I'm going to follow my doctor's directions. Yeah. And he said, this is not going to work for us. We're going to be preparing your termination. Your last day will be the end of this month, 31st of, of, of July, of January. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that is pretty egregious behavior. I mean, it's very clearly a violation of your human rights. Very clearly. You know, you have a doctor's order based on a medical disability that says that you have to be accommodated in a way that they obviously sound, it sounds like have been accommodating you by allowing yeah. you to work. And so unless there is a really strong, legitimate reason why they can't continue to do that, I certainly don't see one, uh, then it's not up to them. It's not a choice to accommodate someone. It's an obligation, a legal obligation. And so whether they want to or not, they don't have the right to just say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to fire you instead. So beyond the fact that it's a termination and you're owed severance, it's actually a very clear breach of the human rights code. And you're very much owed human rights damages on top of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my question to you is, I'm going to be mm -hmm. calling your office on Monday. But sh so do I, can, like, um, how do I proceed with this? Because do I like do uh, I don't even know how to respond to this person? Like, well, I, what have I, they asked you to do at this I, point? Is because they said you've been you're terminated at the end of this month? Are they telling you to keep working, or what is what they said? Yes, he said uh, he said we're going to be where we are preparing your termination and your RO, ROE or whatever that's called record of employment. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's it, and uh, we'll be providing that to you next week. Um, just uh, please be advised that. Um, effective February first, we're no longer, you, you know, we no longer require. Right. And I knew well, this was happening because three weeks ago when I called in, they had actually hired somebody who's been sitting at my desk, and they took one of my because I'm a man, a property manager. They took one of my man, my my properties away from me and gave it to this person. Yeah. What I would say for now is do nothing, say nothing. You know, uh, just keep doing your job. Contact okay. us. Let's, and then once you're in contact with the lawyer, and you know you can strategize on the best way to deal with it. But generally speaking, the right now the best thing is to do nothing, continue doing your job as they've asked you until February, 
And as I say, once you're out of that environment, that's the best time to, to actually take action. Appreciate it, Tamara. Got to let you go. Quick break here and more of your calls for your continuing employment law show. Hang in there. You betcha. We're back. It is at 1041. Thank you so much for your calls so far. And email help at employmentlawyer.ca. I think Janice is next up. Uh, Stan, here we go. Says, guys, I'm six months pregnant and my company just terminated me. I was very high performer, but things seemed to change after I told them I was pregnant a couple months ago. And all of a sudden, I'm terminated. How do I prove that they terminated me because of the pregnancy and my request for an 18-month mat leave? Yeah, well, Janice, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head because it is a very difficult thing to prove these days. I mean, companies aren't just going to – there's no smoking guns that I've seen where a company writes an email that says, oh, Janice is pregnant. Let's get rid of her. Uh, people just aren't that ignorant these days, uh, they, and they know how to do these things much more clandestinely. But the the way the test works when it comes to discrimination is that it's not entirely on you to prove what you're alleging. You know, circumstantially, what you've indicated to me isn't almost enough because it's a two-part test. The first part says, can you establish prima facie that there was discrimination that happened here? And Which all just basically means, can you establish based on one of the grounds that we recognize as discriminatory uh, that you have been treated differently based on those grounds? So here, it's pretty easy. You're pregnant. You say that you're being treated differently because you're pregnant. That in and of itself establishes the first part of the test, that you are being treated differently and that there is at least a prima facie case that you have been uh, treated, discriminated against. Now, the second part of the test basically reverts back to the employer and goes to the employer and says, okay, employer, provide us with evidence and show us that this was essentially not discriminatory, that what you're doing here has nothing to do with Janice being pregnant or letting you, you know that you're pregnant. And one other key thing to know here, Janice, is that it doesn't have to be the sole reason. It doesn't even have to be 5% of the reason that you were terminated is because you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. If if the, any part, if 1% of their thinking was that, hey, Janice is terminated, like, let's say they think we got to let go of 100 people, who are we going to pick? Well, Janice is pregnant. She's probably, not, you know, she's not going to be around. Let's get rid of her. Even though that wasn't the primary reason that they were letting you go, they were doing some sort of restructuring, they got to let go of these people. The fact that they picked you simply because of the pregnancy is enough to, to show that that was discriminatory. So it's it's not an easy thing to prove, obviously, but it's, no, it's not entirely on you to prove it. Uh, the company is going to have to show that they had legitimate reasons beyond the pregnancy to let you go. And if they can't establish that they have a legitimate reason, the inference will ultimately be that it was in some way, in some part, due to the pregnancy. And that is how we're going to shape that one up, Janice. Again, you're always going to want to follow up with that phone call to Stan and his team, one 855 821 to do that. Uh, moving down to Ida. Ida says, uh, guys, was recently terminated but told that I have to stay and work until the end of May. Do I have to stay at this point as it seems unbearable to me to work for a company that has terminated me already? I can see how that feels, right? Stan, what do you think? It's it's a question that, you know, whenever somebody gets working notice, that's almost the first question I get is, do I have to stay and work it? Uh, and the unfortunate reality is that you do, um, because the company is entitled 
to give you notice, to pay you, you know, to give you your entitlements by way of notice. That's their legal right to do if they so choose. Uh, and if they choose to do that, as they have here, and, and assuming the workplace is hospitable, assuming it's not a toxic environment and, you know, you, you don't have legitimate reasons to say, I can't be there for another minute then it's not based solely on what you want, Ada. It's It really is based on what their rights are here, and they have a right to do this. And, you know, if you leave prior to May, that's likely going to be a resignation and mean you're not owed anything further. Is there a uh, is there a chance you could say, look, guys, why don't we split the difference? I'll stay for another two months, and then you can just pay me the remainder in severance or whatever I'm owed? Well, that comes down to negotiations, right? You know, the Employment Standards Act will only tell you what the floor is. If you want something better than the floor in in any context, whether it's minimum wage or severance or whatever, you have to be the one to go and get it. You have to be the one to go and negotiate. So, yeah, the parties can agree to that. You know, you just have to do it. More of your emails with Stan Fanselberg from stlawyers.ca. And uh, we continue Saturday morning right here on the Employment Law Show. Continuing on here, John Scholes and lawyer from San Firu to Mark and LLB. Back on a Saturday, Stan Fanselberg. Reach out afterwards. You can. one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Pete, thanks for standing by for a moment, pal. How are you? Good morning. Not too bad. How are you? Good, sir. Good, sir. What's on your mind? Excellent. Uh, I've got a... I'm pretty well versed in in this stuff as, because I listen to the show quite often. But uh, I'm I'm encouraging my sister-in-law to look potentially at treating something as a constructive dismissal because she has she's worked for a company for almost 20 years and uh, they are she does a job and a half, I guess, because one of the other employees reduced to half time because she's nearing retirement and. Mm-hmm. When she retires, they are going to give all of the work to her, plus they're adding a new layer to it. So basically, mm-hmm. they're, they're doubling her workload and her responsibilities. And there's been no discussion of a raise or anything else. The company was owned locally, but now it's an American mm-hmm. uh, parent company that owns it who thinks they get paid too much as it is. So she hasn't even looked at yeah. the idea of asking for a raise. I looked at the... Uh, calculator that you have online and mm-hmm. uh it looks like she's owed potentially 16 months of severance okay. um so the, the issue is piggybacking on the previous caller who was talking about being given notice of termination working notice yeah if if she is asked to do this at what point does she consider it a a constructive dismissal and if she yep. voices that are they then allowed to turn around and say well we'll have you work for 16 months here's your working notice instead uh so at first well let's address the first question at what point can she claim constructive dismissal at the point at which they impose the changes so if they're talking about changes but not doing it haven't actually done it yet Unless, like, you know, they say, okay, it's happening tomorrow, you know, at that point you can do it. But if they're saying, hey, you know, it might happen when this person retires, we're still thinking about it, that's not enough. It has to be crystal clear that the changes are going to happen and, you know, it's not up for debate. So that's the first point. Um, Can they give her 16 months working notice? Yeah, in theory they could. They couldn't make her do both jobs. 
because that would be the constructive and she doesn't have to do that. But could they say, well, okay, fine, you do your job for the next 16 months. And then at the end of the 16 months, either leave or we have a new job for you that involves both these roles. You could take that one if you want. Yeah, they could realistically do that. And there's not much your sister can do to avoid it. Um, but in terms of a constructive dismissal, and this is generally, you know, even when the, there's a potential constructive dismissal, it's always better to try to turn it into a termination. By which I mean, you know, just have your sister, if she doesn't want to do it, just tell them, I'm not doing it. You know, hire somebody else. This is a two-person job. You know, two, two people need to do both these jobs. I will do my job. You can hire someone for the other job. If they, if they then turn around and say, no, you have to do it, that's when she can claim it. But ideally, what you want to say in the initial step is to say, I'm not doing it. I have my job. I'm doing my job. And see if they'll just turn around and fire you. Because a constructive dismissal is a question of law. You know, did a fundamental change happen? Did it amount to a constructive dismissal or termination? Whereas a termination is just a fact. You've been let go. You are owed money. That's factual. So I always encourage clients to see if we can turn that constructive into a termination by, you know, real, by frankly, just antagonizing the company into doing it hmm. by not making, by not going along, you know, with what they want, which usually companies, especially American companies get pretty angry about and, you know, emotional about, and that's when they tend to make a mistake and make a bad decision. Uh, so I would tell her to take that initial step of just saying, no, I'm not doing it. Hire somebody else. It's a two-person job. Uh, and if they, you know, hopefully they just turn around and fire her. But if they don't and say, no, you have to, she then you could at that point say, well, I'm not going to. And if you force me, I'm going to resign and claim constructive. Understood. Now, if it gets to that point and she yep. has to say that, at that point, are they able to say, well, then we'll give you notice, working notice instead? As I said, yes. Or have they already you pulled know. the trigger? Well, no. They can, if they haven't imposed the changes, even if they, it actually gets a lot more complicated because even okay. if it's a constructive dismissal, they can turn around and say, well, we want you to stay here to mitigate the damages. Hmm. Basically, you know, how a person has to go and find new employment to reduce the amount that their old employer owes them in damages. This is basically that same concept just that's the old employer coming to you and giving you the job. And then you have to evaluate whether essentially your sister has to take the job, you know, or in terms of is the workplace, you know, hospitable for her? Is the job reasonably comparable? You know, are the circumstances reasonably comparable to that which she held before? So it actually gets fairly complicated in, in terms of the evaluation. Uh, and you'd have to kind of look at it very contextually at that point. What about the idea of them basically stating that we are keeping you on to train the other party? That's their right, unfortunately. I mean, if they want to give you working notice... Of their job description, if she's now expected to be a an educator on top of everything else? It depends on how, again, everything is contextual. If it's like, a, you know, if you're just talking about having a person shadow you, you doing your job, that's not really a big a change. You're just doing your job. Um, Understood. Yeah. So as I say, it's, it's very contextual. 
Pete, we really appreciate the call. We're out of time. we got to slide out of here, but you can continue that conversation, as can you if you've been listening for this entire hour. Stan's always ready there to uh, provide some answers to your questions. How do you do it? one 821 5900 email help at employmentlawyer.ca and that website again again you can learn so much from just the website have access to the severance calculator to see what the real amount of your severance in the future could and should be that would be pocketemploymentlawyer.ca we'll catch you next time on the employment law show